मलम योपाकरोत्तम प्रवरम मुनीना पातंजलि प्राजलिरानी I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of body through medicine. So today we are going to commence the second chapter. of the patanjali yoga sutra the first chapter dealt with the various types of samadhis that how the samadhi can take us to the ultimate spiritual culmination that has been described in the first chapter the sutras from 41 to 51 which was actually studied when we were studying the six sutras from 17 and to 17 18 19 20 till 21 17 to 21 when we were studying we studied the all the samadhis in detail from 41 to 51 because those are interrelated so now instead of repeating we are going to the second chapter now the question comes that the samadhi which has been spoken of in the first chapter it entails a preparation some sort of preparation we cannot just simply leap to the practice the practice which is for the meant for the advanced so what are the preliminary steps through which i can prepare myself to start my spiritual journey and continue all the steps in sequential order so that at last i become prepared i become capable eligible for attaining the samadhi which has already been spoken of in the first chapter so in the second chapter so we find that the yoga sutra is dealing with the various aspects of yoga to be practiced to take us to the goal for attaining kaivalya or spiritual liberation the first step the preliminary step is called the kriya yoga so we will today study the first two sutras of the second chapter which enunciates this kriya yoga so now what the word kriya yoga means so kriya means work kriya means action so action all the work which leads us to the yoga so working towards yoga is kriya yoga so all the preliminary practices which you have to work out to get established in yoga is kriya yoga so actions performed with the object of attainment of yoga such actions 
are all called Kriya Yoga. Now these actions, as we will find in the very first sutra of the second chapter, has been enunciated, that is basically primarily of three kinds. So let us go to the sutra, that what are those three kinds of yoga, Kriya, three kinds of action, which has been spoken of as the preliminary practices, as the Kriya Yoga. So what are they? Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara, Pranidhana. So these are the three things. Tapa, Swadhyaya and Ishwara, Pranidhana. So the sutra is Tapa, Swadhyaya, Ishwara, Pranidhanani, Kriya Yoga. So Tapa means austerity. Swadhyaya has two meanings. The study of the sacred, uh, the study of the sacred literature is swadhyaya, and the repetition of mantras that also is swadhyaya. So we will come to the details of it, that how these two are interrelated: the study of the scriptures, the study of the sacred literature, and the repetition of the mantras. These both are included in swadhyaya. And Ishwara Pranidhana, we have already studied in the first chapter in details. So it's a special type of devotion to God, which we have studied already, which again we will in a short today try to enunciate, try to describe. So these three constitutes the Kriya Yoga. So what are the three? Tapa, which means austerity. Swadhyaya, which means study of the sacred literature and the repetition of the mantras and Ishwara Pranidhana. So Ishwara Pranidhana is the surrender, a special type of devotion which entails surrender to the divine. So surrender to God. So first let us go to Tapa, austerity, what it means. So to explain austerity, we will find Swami Vivekananda while giving commentary on Patanjali Yoga Sutra, which is in the first chapter of, uh, which is in the first volume, which is in the first volume of complete works in the Raja Yoga. So there we find Swamiji, Swami Vivekananda while explaining Tapa is quoting, is not exactly quoting, he's making a free translation of a few mantras from Kathopanishad, where the allegory of the chariot, the simile of the chariot, which is like the human body. The, the human body has been described as a chariot and how just the way the charioteer, if, has, if can, can control the reins, then only he can take the chariot to the proper destination. And if the horses are too strong, and the charioteer cannot hold the reins properly, the chariot will be shattered, will be taken off the way, and it will be totally shattered. So that's the example which Katopanishad has taken to explain the need for holding the reins. And that is the real austerity. Generally by austerity, we feel that some physical practices which gives us pain, like standing in one leg, or standing in cold water till neck deep, all those things may have some uh, spiritual implications. But the real austerity is 
to hold the reins of our senses, which are constantly dragging us to the sensed pleasures of life. So unless we have the capacity to hold the reins, control the mind, we can never think of calming down the mind and go for, pursue for the higher spiritual disciplines. So in that uh, few mantras, we will come to the mantras where we find the organs in this human body, which is, which is like the chariot, they're the organs, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the skin. These are the five sense organs through which we are constantly interacting with the world. So these five sense organs are the horses. And the object of the senses are the roads. All you see, all you hear, all you smell, all you taste, all you touch. So these five senses are the roads, five perceptions are the roads, objects of the senses are the roads, organs are the horses, and the mind is the rain. What is mind? Sankalpa vikalpatmak manaha. That the chitta, the mind staff, as per the function, has been distinguished as mana and also as buddhi. There are four distinctions mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankara. Ahankara speaks of the sense of the ego, I. And chitta is the storehouse of all the impressions. And mana is the faculty which is constantly willing and doubting. So many sankalpa vikalpatmak. We take a resolution and the next moment we go on uh, judging the pros and cons of it. And we may again alter our decision. So all these choices is the faculty of the mind. So sankalpa vikalpatmak, willing and doubting, and again taking new resolution. So in Sanskrit they say that, uh, what do you say that, kartum akartum anyatha kartum. So that's the faculty of the mind. Shall I do it in a particular way? Kartum akartum. Should I not do it? Anyatha kartum. Should I do it in a different way? Should I do it or not do it? Or if I do it, should I do it in a different way? So this sankalpa vikalpa is constantly going on in the mind. And that is the rain. And the one who takes the final decision among all those choices, that's the buddhi, the intellect. Nishchayatmika buddhi. Nishchaya, the decision making of all those options. When you take a particular decision, yes, this is going to be good for me. So that's the intellect. That's the buddhi. So that intellect is the charioteer. So the mind is the ren, the intellect is the charioteer, the one who is driving the chariot and the self, the purusha is the one who is the master of the chariot. He's having the ride, he's enjoying the ride. He's just sitting and enjoying the ride. Who is driving? It is not the self, it is the intellect. Intellect is the driver and mind is the rem. So this wonderful analogy we find is, has been uh, spoken of in the Katha Upanishad. So that's, the mantras are uh, like this. Atmanang 
रथिनं विद्धि शरीरं रथमे वतु बुद्धि तु सारथिंग विद्धि मन प्रग्रहमे वच सो नो द आत्मन एज द लॉर्ड ऑफ द चैरियट द बॉडी एज द चैरियट नो द इंटेलिजेंस एज द चैरियट द ड्राइवर एंड नो द माइंड एज द रेंस and what about the sense organs the next mantra says indriyani hayan ahu hayan means horses so all the sense organs ahu means is told what is the sense organs are they are told to be the horses indriyani hayan ahu vishayas teshu gocharam and the roads are the objects of the senses vishaya all the objects सो आत्मेन्द्रिय मनोयुक्त भोक्ते मनीषिण सो हु इज द भोक्ता हु इज एंजॉइंग द राइट द आत्मा द सेल्फ हु इज सिटिंग इज एंजॉइंग द राइट सो द सेंसेस दे से आर द हॉर्सेस द ऑब्जेक्ट्स विच द परसीव द वे द आत्मन द सेंसेस एंड द माइंड कंबाइंड द इंटेलिजेंस call the enjoyer and the mind is just the rain and the intelligence is the is the one who is the rider and the self is the one who is enjoying the ride so now if the horses are very strong and do not obey the rain so if the charioteer the intellect does not know how to control the horses then the chariot will come to grief so now we will understand that what austerity is to have sufficient strength to hold the rein strongly and take and direct the horses on the desired path and don't allow them to go off the track and destroy the chariot so that's the thing which is real austerity so but if the organs the horses are well controlled and if the ren the mind is well held in the hands of the charioteer then what happens so then this it has been indicated this vigyana sarathiryastu mana pragrahavan narah sodhvana param apnoti tad vishnu paramapada wonderful mantra the ninth mantra but the man who has a discriminating intellect for the charioteer so vigyana sarathiryastu the sarathi the charioteer the driver the vigyana means the intellect the one who has the chariot the intellect as the charioteer and mana pragrahavanar and the reins are properly controlled the controlling mind for the reins so you can control the mind with your intellect so dhvana param apnoti he can attain that ultimate the highest goal and what is that highest goal tat vishnu paramapadam the state of vishnu the parampadam tat vishnu the word vishnu uh, just whenever we speak the word vishnu we have an idea of a particular form actually in the upanishads the vishnu whenever the word vishnu is being indicated it indicates the reality which is all pervading which is not local 
which is beyond all locality. So that's the Brahman, the ultimate reality. So one can attain that if one has the intellect, the strong intellect, which can hold onto the reins of the mind strongly and take us to the desired goal. So what is austerity? It is holding the ren, that is the mind firmly while guiding the chariot, that is the body and the horses, the organs to take the Lord of the chariot, that is the Purusha, the self to the goal. So here lies the importance of austerity. So now what the scripture speaks of is actually something which we realize in our day-to-day life, what to speak of the spiritual goal. Even in our day-to-day life, when uh, we have to pursue our secular goals, we know to certain extent austerity is required. You know, very nice, even in this our Vedic literature, for the students, it is mentioned, you have to do nothing. Chhatranang adhyayanang tapaha. For the students, study itself is austerity. Why? Yeah, there are so many distractions. I withdraw myself from that and I fix my mind on the goal which I have already pursued, the goal for which I have pursued through my studies. So to keep the mind fixed in studies itself becomes my austerity, the my mind is dragging me hither and thither. As a student, what I'm doing constantly, I am constantly just keeping my mind in the track and continue with my studies. Why? Because something is waiting for me in the future. All the distractions which speaks of some short term gains Their friends are there to lure me for all the short-term games. I am quite aware of the long-term gains and austerity, renunciation, austerity is not something negative. It is actually relinquishing something trivial for something which is waiting for me. Something far, far, uh, what do you say, that, uh, which is a treasure, which is far, far expensive. It's a treasure for me. The treasure is waiting for me. For that, I leave out these trivials. So the marshmallow experiment, which we have spoken of again and again, in the modern days, that these are the experiments which is speaking of the need for austerity in our life. That's in a short, we can say that what's that experiment? That it was conducted with a group of children with many children and the experiment went on for decades it's not just uh, it just was conducted in one go what was the experiment the psychologist would meet the children one by one singularly it's not that in a group they will try to become friendly with the child and then uh, suddenly they will produce the marshmallow and the child is about to grab it, the psychologist will say, wait, I will be out for 10 minutes and I will be back after 10 minutes. So 
if you wait, if you don't take the marshmallow, I will give you the second one. Do you want the second one? Yes, of course. The children like the marshmallow. So then you have to wait. And the experiment shows there's a surveillance camera to see the reaction of the children. And most of the children succumb. They try their best, but most of them succumb, knowing very well that if they wait, the second marshmallow is waiting for them, they cannot desist. They cannot delay their gratification. Only a few somehow succeed. So it's not with the children. The same thing happens with us. The experiment is done with the children, but we also will fail miserably uh, whenever we are placed in any situation which lures us. So the experiment doesn't end here. That yes, only few succeeded, most of them failed, but the experiment is something which is far reaching. All those children on whom this experiment was done, done they, were, they, they were kept track all the children that how they're performing in life as a student in their professional life. So it, they were kept track of. And after 10 years, 15 years, very interesting thing was found that those who could somehow delay their gratification could desist from being lured to take that marshmallow and could wait for the psychologist to come back it is they who excelled in their academic performance. It is they who were well-placed in their profession compared to the other ones. So the previous to the idea was the higher the IQ, the more is your chance to get established, very well-established in future. But this experiment shows it's not the IQ. It's your the faculty of delaying the gratification that speaks of building up your future. That how it happens, why it happens. The reason is simple. Those children who somehow could delay their gratification, they are not myopic. They're not short-sighted. They can see the long-term gains waiting for them. And for that they have developed that power to desist from the lure of the short-term gains. So this is tapas, as simple as that. So in spiritual life, it's not that the general idea is that those who are spiritual are as if pessimistic. They have no taste for life. They have become, become a bit passive. Apparently it may appear that they're like a bit inert, not moving out, reaching out to enjoy life. But actually, they are relinquishing for something higher, which may not be palpably visible. It is something like in Ramayana, we speak of the river Falgu, where the water is flowing beneath. On the surface, you won't see the flow. It is flowing beneath. So in spiritual life, what's the joy? It's only one who has experienced it, he knows. It is something going on within. It cannot be expressed without. It's not just the lip smile of a receptionist, which is professional. It's not like that. 
It is something which is coming from within. So it may have no expression outside. That's like the river Falgu. And the one who has experienced, they know that what treasure it is. Uh, sometimes some stories help us to explain this idea. You know, in one of the very famous Vaishnava saints, the Rupa Goswami, to him, a poor Brahmin came one day. That Brahmin got the vision of Shiva that, that this Rupa Goswami has some really great treasure, invaluable treasure, very expensive treasure. The Brahmin was to give her daughter in marriage, for, but for that he had no sufficient money. So now he went to Rupa Goswami and told that Shiva has in dream told me to come to you and you can give me some treasure which is something highly expensive. Now Rupa Goswami was a uh, just a hermit was have renounced everything like a hermit very poor hermit he was staying in a very uh, shabby hermitage and he was really a bit uh, taken aback. What, what wealth I can have? I have nothing. But this man went on pestering. He told the Shiva's dream cannot be false. It must be true. You must be hiding. Now Rupa Goswami thought a lot that what wealth I can have. And then suddenly he remembered that someone gave him a touchstone with which Whatever he touches, it gets converted to gold. But Rupa Goswami, he is a, just a, a recluse. He has no need for it. So he threw it in the garbage bin outside his this kutia, the hermitage. And now suddenly he remembered, oh yes, most probably that is the thing Shiva has told him. So he went and searched the, the garbage bin and at last he found, he brought out the touchstone, gave it to the Brahmin and told, this is the, this is the wealth. This is the wealth most probably which Shiva has told of, told of. So you can take it. So this man was quite surprised. How can a man give away the touchstone? So now taking that touchstone, he was returning. Now he thought, now I can go and give my daughter, uh, give, give away my daughter in marriage. And he was quite peace, quite at peace. But suddenly the greed developed. He was almost halfway back to his uh, house. Then suddenly the thought came. Shiva told that the, one of the greatest treasure he has. Now how can he give away this so simply? There must be some greater treasure which he is hiding. And Shiva has told he has to give me. So he went back and told him. Very interesting that this Brahmin told this cannot be the, the greatest treasure which you have. There must be something greater. How can you give it away so simply? And Sri Rupa Goswami told, see, I have nothing. I'm, I'm just a poor person. I'm just an ordinary hermit, a recluse. But the man went on pestering. And then Rupa Goswami had a very, very nice had that smile in his face. He told, yes. I do have a greater treasure than this. But to get that, first you have to throw this stone in the Yamuna. He, that, this, his, 
Kutia was just on the bank of the Yamuna. So he told you, just go and throw it in the river and then come back to me. I will give you the treasure, the treasure which is even greater than that. So he went and threw that, that poor Brahmin out of greed went and threw that touchstone in river Yamuna, came back. Rupa Goswami told, sit down in front of me. I will give you the mantra for Swadhyaya. The next practice is Swadhyaya. I will give you the mantra for Swadhyaya. That is the treasure. So now you will understand. So that what, that bliss which in which comes from the spiritual attainment, the joy, that Rupa Goswami is, is indicating is even bigger than the touchstone. The story goes, the Brahmin was converted, he became disciple, he understood the uh, real meaning of those words through his own realization. But what the main thing is, that austerity can lead us to that treasure, which cannot be explained, which, but at the same time, even a touchstone by which you can convert the entire world into gold is nothing to that. So these stories actually help us to understand the idea this behind these sutras. So that's the austerity. I relinquish the touchstone, means all the so-called sensed pleasures of life to get the real treasure that comes through the Swadhyaya, the next Kriya Yoga, the next practice. So what is this Swadhyaya? The study of the sacred literature and the repetition of the mantras. Now, these two are related. The study of the sacred literature and the repetition of the mantras are related. You may say, how? So first, when I hear the scriptures, that is Sravana. So you will find for the first time when I'm hearing the scriptures, a lot of doubts come. With the rational mind, I try to understand the truth of the scripture and the limitation. My mind has a limitation. I cannot understand everything. There's a lot of gap in my understanding. Now there are two ways out. I may say these all words of the scripture have no meaning and simply become indifferent towards it. And another thing is be humble that there may be some gap in my understanding that the scripture, what it is speaking of is the truth at present with my present state of understanding. I am yet to understand the implications of the scripture. So let me have Sraddha. Here the uh, importance of Sraddha comes. Sraddha means faith in the scriptures, faith in the words of the Guru. With the faith, you have to do manana. Many things, manana means doubting the scriptures. No. The first thing, I take them to be the truth and I humbly accept the fact that I lack in understanding and constantly try to fill up those gaps in my understanding by cogitation. I ask my guru, I ask, I read the scripture, contemplate on it, and gradually I find the cobwebs of my mind are getting cleared off. That's what Swami Vivekananda used to say, the brahmacharis in Belumat. After returning from the West in his last days, he used to insist in the study of the Upanishads. And one day while studying the Upanishads, he was teaching the brahmacharis, the Upanishads, suddenly he stopped his uh, discussion and asked the brahmacharis, 
what's the utility what's the utility of the studying this upanishad is it going you to give you the spiritual realization no spiritual realization can never come through this discussion then why we study and then as when all were silent swam vivekananda himself gave the answer to remove the cobwebs of the mind that in our understanding there is lot of uh, haziness lot of darkness lot of shadow through constant cogitation on the words of the scripture trying to contemplate or not contemplate on it i take it to be the truth i don't doubt its uh, uh, this uh, validity i know that it is valid and then i go on cogitating and gradually the doubts get removed so shravana and manana that's this should go hand in hand and that also through shraddha shraddha is something like the way when you are going to the doctor when i go to the doctor for some physical ailments i go to the doctor the doctor prescribes me some medicine with full faith i take the medicine i know nothing of the medical science and if i ask the doctor please explain me it, it is almost impossible to certain extent he may explain me but i cannot understand the intricacies of the medical science the doctor has to go through that course for years together for just in few minutes i cannot understand i have the faith in the medical science that is the scripture of medical science so in the medical the, all the books of the medical science are the scriptures so they are authentic well researched and the doctor is the one who is authorized to prescribe medicine as per those medical literature he has studied it well so doctor is like the guru and the medical scripture is like the our uh, text spiritual script uh, spiritual texts so the way i go to the doctor and simply have faith in him and follow his prescription knowing very well that what he has prescribed is authentic similar faith we have to have with our spiritual guru that he is a realized soul he has realized the truths of the scriptures through his assiduous spiritual practice he has came down from that state out of unconditional love to help us out from this quagmire of ignorance so with the faith i go i hear the words of the scriptures from his mouth and go on cogitating to clear the doubts and then at last an intellectual conviction comes yes i intellectually have an idea that the scripture is speaking something which is really valuable and then my practice starts what's the practice meditation on that intellectual conviction my intellectual conviction takes the form of a mantra the word mantra means mananath trayate iti mantra once that intellectual conviction takes the form of that mantra in that is encoded all your intellectual conviction is encoded in that small mantra just the way you prepare notes before the examination throughout the year you have studied the subject well while studying you studied exhaustively but while studying you prepared some notes why on the night before the exam i cannot study the entire book just by studying the notes what i have studied exhaustively that immediately will be recapitulated will come to my mind 
So this mantra is something like that notes. In that is actually encoded the entire understanding, which now you have conviction, which you have cogitated well, you have the conviction. And now you go on repeating it. And that will liberate you, trayate, that will liberate mananath by constantly cogitating on that. So that is Swadhyaya. Now you will understand how the study of the sacred literature and the repetition of mantras are related. So sacred of the study of the sacred literature at last takes us to that intellectual conviction, which now is synchronized with the mantra. And then I resort to the mantra, go on constantly meditating on it. That is the Nididhyasana, where I go on meditating on it. And that will take me to the ultimate spiritual realization. That's why in our scriptures, they speak of Raja Hamsa. That the royal uh, swan, what the swan's characteristic, if you mix, if, if the milk is diluted with water, and if you give Raja Hamsa to drink that diluted milk, it has the capacity to drink the milk and live out the water. So Raja Hamsa, it signifies that to take the essence. So there is no need to go on reading varied scriptures. We are not to become a library or uh, like a, a Google. That this vast information is not the thing which is required in spiritual life. To get the gist out of it and then to cogitate upon it is what is being meant by Swadhyaya. Sri Ramakrishna is to give an example that if you are digging well, if you want to dig a well, and while digging, you find the rocky terrain, you leave that place and then start digging in another place. And after some time you find sand, again you leave that space, place and go to the, you just shift, go on shifting from place to place, you will never get water. If you have to get water, in spite of the rocky terrain, in spite of the sand, you have to go on digging. Beneath, deep beneath, the water is there. You will find it. So in spiritual life, that's the ishta nishtha. There are many paths. All are valid. All can be uh, equally uh, efficient. They have the efficacy to take us to the ultimate goal. All have the efficacy to take us to the ultimate goal. But if I go on jumping from one practice to other, it may give me some thrill, but it is in no way going to help me spiritually. I have to, as per my temperament, choose a particular path. All are good. Just the way you go to the restaurant, any food will nourish you. But as per your taste, you choose a particular menu. So here also like that, that all the paths are like the varied menu, menu of, the, of a restaurant. You choose a particular dish as something which you are going to relish. So as per your temperament, you choose a particular path and stick unto it. You go dive deep into it with patience and with perseverance. Swami Vivekananda used to give the example of a mollusk which, has, which gets converted into which can has the capacity to convert its own uh, secretion into pearl. That if when a sand particle 
irritates the mollusk. It will dive deep with the sand particle deep into the bed of the ocean, and it will start salivating, salivating on that sand particle, the irritant. It will go on salivating, and that, in course of time, that that saliva gets saturated, gets concentrated, and it, it at last gets converted into that pearl. So mantra is something like that irritant. On that, you have to go on contemplating, contemplating. That is the salivating. At last, it gets converted into the pearl, the treasure. The spiritual treasure comes out of it. So this is the swadhyaya. So we find that austerity. These are all the basic things in spiritual life. These are the kriya yoga, without which we cannot think of, pra of practicing the higher steps. Many think that we will jump to the higher steps. Without taking off, uh, without taking care of these preliminary steps, that can never be. That we have to first have a strong foundation on which we can build our spiritual life. So swadhyaya. After swadhyaya, the next practice is the Ishvara Pranidhana, which we have already uh, studied in details in the first chapter. So it is a special type of devotion. It consists of the feeling. of the existence of god in the innermost core of your heart as if god is seated in your heart and to rest content by surrendering oneself to him now what does surrender mean now surrender has two components to feel always that i am doing everything as if being prompted by the divine it is he who is prompting me through my actions whatever i am doing the mother's love for the child it is love is not mine the god who is sitting in my heart is prompting me i have been uh, programmed by the divine to love so i'm just the channel so that's the first aspect and the other to offer the fruits of actions once i am the channel there is no question of expectation so i do my best the child is like a seed if it is a mango seed i will get a mango plant i am not going to get an apple or a jackfruit out of it so the sanskaras with which he has been born that is going to fructify i cannot impose my ambition on the child so i'm just a channel through which god is doing whatever he has to be done to take care of his creation and the fruits i have no i have no uh, expectation for that i have done my best as an instrument and the future takes its own course the destiny takes its own course so this is the basic idea from that the idea of surrender comes this surrender is very important unless i surrender myself to the divine constantly my propositions will be disturbing me oh i wanted this it didn't happen i wanted that it didn't happen so this will end up in dejection anger if anything doesn't happen as per your wish dejection comes anger comes and with such a mind how can you think of higher spiritual practice where the tranquility of the mind is the first criteria so surrender is something which is absolutely necessary for progressing in the spiritual journey so that's why ishwara pradhana also has been included as a part of the kriya yoga
but now there is a warning so with ishwara pranidhana with the surrender we banish all egoistic feelings and it brings a perpetual faith in god but we will find constantly in our life we fool ourselves how you know that whenever uh, something good happens in our life we always take the credit for it and some mistake has happened then we say what to do it was god's will so so practicing surrender is not easy so generally we take we tend to take the good actions we take the credit of the good actions and make god responsible for everything bad sri ramakrishna the master of parables you know so in one of the parable is very interesting parable in the gospel we find that a brahmin had a beautiful garden it was his passion throughout the day he used to tend to his garden and he was very proud of it and one day a cow somehow entered the garden and it started just grazing on the crops on all the saplings and the, when the brahmin saw it he was at rage he was total he was so much angry he started beating the cow mercilessly and because of that merciless beating the cow suddenly collapsed and died now it's a horrible scene for a brahmin to kill a cow now he was at a fix he doesn't know what to have what that in a rage he came in a rage and what he did for which now he started repenting but at the same time he felt it has to be i have to hide this crime what he did immediately in the corner of a garden he dug a hole and in that he buried the cow and just covered it but it created a mound like structure you know it was the uh, where he tried to give the very tried to bury the cow it was a mound with hilly structure with small mound was created he thought my work is done and now he started constantly thinking that after all i have not committed the crime the lord of the hands is indra so it is he it is indra who has prompted me to kill the cow when the sin came to enter into the brahmin of the sin of killing the cow when to enter the brahmin brahmin said no you cannot enter me why it is indra who prompted me indra is the lord of the hands of my arms it is he who has prompted me i myself cannot do anything it is he who has prompted me now the sin of killing cow went to indra and indra was in the ox why you came to me and he told the entire incidents then indra told the vet he was smiling he told vet uh before entering me just give me a little time so in disguise he went to the garden of the brahmin he took the he himself took the disguise of a brahmin and went to the garden of the brahmin now indra in disguise was invited seeing the other brahmin this brahmin invited and he was showing him around the garden the indra in disguise was constantly praising oh such a wonderful tree laden with fruits who has done it who has planted it who has tended it me 
with full pride he was just saying me does this plant i have grown this land i have tended this entire garden is taken care by me it is i who have uh, this grown all the plants with so much of care and then suddenly the indra in disguise indra noticed that mound and he pointed what's that the brahmin told please come away from there it is nothing it's nothing but brahmin this indra indra went there and started removing the clay the soil and in no time as uh, it was not it was a very superficial uh, covering so in no time the remains of the cow the the carcasses that came out the dead body was visible and indra he was uh, just as if he was taken by shock how come the cow has been killed who has killed the cow and now the brahmin again told it's indra now indra took his own form and now he reprimanded so all this garden you have tended your arms that time were your arms and now when this killing of the cow then it's me so take see now he called now indra called the sin come now enter this brahmin so this is a story which our uh, we find in the gospel of sri ramakrishna as a parable it's there which speaks of that the real frame of mind to really surrender everything to god is not easy we have to really uh, take give away the fruits of all our actions to the lord we shouldn't keep uh, all the credits for us and all the demerits be given to the lord that's what generally we tend so sri swami vivekananda in his works constantly uses the word that conscious liar in our spiritual life sometimes we can be a conscious liar we know we are lying we are philosophizing so that shouldn't happen when we are practicing ishwara pranidhana so so ishwara the pranidhana speaks of the total surrender so these three things constitutes the kriya yoga so what are the three so this tapa swadhyay ishwara pranidhana so now after uh, speaking of these three practices as the kriya yoga as the practices which will lead you to the yoga now they are saying that what's the utility what's the result why it is practiced for that's been spoken of in the second sutra of the second chapter samadhi bhavanartha klesha the ignorance asmita comes the purusha which is not uh, enclosed encapsulated in this psychophysical existence 
it is in no way identified with this psychophysical existence because of avidya ignorance it starts thinking that i am this body mind complex the moment it happens and what happens anything which is favorable for the existence of this psychophysical existence anything which is favorable anything which is pleasurable it gets drawn to it actually it is beyond that but now as it has got identified with the body mind complex anything which is favorable for the existence of the body mind complex it gets the purusha as if gets drawn towards it that is raga from asmita that comes from that ego raga anything which is not favorable for my existence for that the fight and flight response come if it is if the thing which is not favorable is not that strong i fight to get rid of it and if it is very strong if it overpowers me if it has the capacity to overpower me i run away from it if it is a predator i run away from it that is flight so that is actually spoken of as dvesha and abhinivesha dvesha is fight and abhinivesha is flight they say the fear of death yes death is something which we can never conquer so we are constantly running away from it so that is abhinivesha so these five kleshas can be minimized these afflictions are something we don't like they have to be minimized and our after minimizing that i have to think of proceeding in my spiritual journey so that it leads me to that ultimate goal of samadhi so all this kriya yoga is meant for this two fold purposes to bring about samadhi and to reduce the kleshas now in short it will be dealt with in details so in this sutra in short let us try to understand that how kriya yoga can help in reducing the afflictions so kriya yoga enables us to enter the state of flow as we have studied in the first chapter vaisharadya a term which means vishuddha sattva this terminology is maybe may appear to be a bit complicated but it is very simple when for the first time you are trying to meditate what happens either you will find your meditation is getting disturbed because of extreme restlessness that is rajas activity or to certain extent you have calmed down your mind and immediately it goes to a state of stupor laziness drowsiness that is tamas just to keep the mind in meditation without becoming restless or without getting dull is the pure sattva it needs the kriya yoga helps us the more we get established in kriya yoga through the practice of austerity swadhyaya ishwara pranidhana the more we get established in that vishuddha sattva vaisharadya where the mind enters a flow it can be in a state of awareness of Uh, focusing on the object of your contemplation without getting distracted by restlessness or going to a deep deep stupor or state of tamas you can continue in that state a flow has ensued once that flow ensues a wonderful thing happens you will find that when your mind really gets engrossed in meditation forget about meditation in your day to day life even suppose i uh and practicing some instrumental music at the beginning when i play the sitar uh 
what happens i find that as my skills are not up to the challenge i'm yet to develop the skills it's a very tiring job it in no way gives me any happiness but with lot of practice a time comes when my skill matches the challenge now i can a spontaneity has ensued now i can go on playing uh, the inst- the stringed instrument and the more i get engrossed i find my mind is getting disengaged from all other things because mind has a limited capacity to process information the moment your mind is more focused to any particular thing it cannot remain engaged with the other things when your mind is not properly focused it may take care of two three things not at a time it is jumping from one because mind can never do multitasking we think that mind does all multitasking it never does it jumps from one activity to the other activity at a very fast pace giving me the idea that i am doing so many things simultaneously but actually the quality is being compromised because you are not focusing in a particular thing constantly you are constantly jumping first it is in one thing again it is the next thing again it is going back to a again it is coming back to b and it is happening at a, such a fast pace it gives the idea it is happening simultaneously but it never happens simultaneously but the more the mind is focused it can no more jump is it it has to be focused in that particular thing on which you are concentrated so the other thing starts falling off what to speak of the external thing when i am watching the tv the news or some sports some games very intently someone calls i don't hear because my mind is not totally focused the sound has entered the ear but my brain my mind is in no way connected to that it is totally focused on the thing which i am seeing in the screen and when you are more engrossed you will forget about your food is the time for lunch you will find that some interesting sports is going on someone has to call you again and again you are not interested because the hunger is nothing but a biological alarm at the time of food the alarm set, sets in and now the mind is not there to take care of the alarm it has been disengaged it is focused on something else so even the bodily activity starts falling off the more you get engaged that has been spoken of as the state of videha that you even forget your body when you are really focused in your meditation and when you forget about your body naturally the afflictions falls off when your mind becomes more and more concentrated on a particular thing even the bodily afflictions are not there to disturb you so that way at the very beginning when you have developed a little uh, 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 efficiency in your meditation you have developed a little spontaneity in your meditation the first thing happens is the kleshas the afflict afflictions starts getting attenuated they get minimized their effect their effect is no more that pronounced so that is what is meant by tanukarana the afflictions becomes uh, um, attenuated so how now that this at uh, the next thing that how it leads to samadhi that also follows a few steps so we will take up that step that that how kriya yoga first after attenuating the afflictions can now lead me to samadhi so that portion we will again take up in the next class before we proceed
to the description of the kleshas which will be uh, followed in the third sutra so with this we stop our discussion today namaskar namaskar swami ji namaskar लॉर्ड Mm-hmm. but he did us sin also he did a mistake knowingly or unknowingly in that case do we need to take the responsibility of what we have done wrong or do we surrender that also i don't know if it makes sense but i was wondering that good i can understand give it to the god but what if i have done something bad yeah so what that's the thing means what happens in our life <clears throat> this uh, just to give an example that we are basically perfect because of some wrong understanding some evil things may do we may do in our life but we need not have to hang to it just to say to give a common example that suppose a small child has done some mistake instead of saying that you are silly you are a fool i could have told that you are great you are such a nice chap i never thought that you can do such a silly thing in the bhagavad gita you will find the same thing bhagwan when arjuna was in that mood of despondency the first thing bhagwan is saying that that you are not supposed to behave this way that you are a kshatriya you are great he is not saying that you are just behaving in a fool way so whenever we are doing some mistake in our life we say this is something not natural some covering some ignorance came it happened but the lord's channel was closed for the time being and that's why it happened but nothing uh, bad can happen from from the direction of the lord it happened because of some misunderstanding something closed up just to give an another example a seed by a seed has the potentiality to become a huge tree but if you keep it in a soil which is clogged with water it will rot get rotten if you keep it in a dry, dry place it will get dried up so the dry seed the rotten seed is not an ex, is not evil separate as some expression of evil as separate it is the expression of the fact that its potentiality couldn't be realized because of some lack of favorable circumstances if the favorable circumstances is there the seed will sprout similarly the divinity will sprout you give the favorable circumstances when the evil happens in life we feel that way that i just uh, somehow because of the lack of understanding the channel of the divine was obscured let me change the course and immediately the divine will again express itself so that way that practice of ishwar pranidhana in no way it we have to give the evil the evil is something which is a product of ignorance uh, uh, as swami ji used to say very nicely there is nothing called good and bad everything is good because at that time i thought it correct so good better best at that time because of my understanding what i did for that i did not have to uh, censor myself i did not have to constantly blame myself that was okay in that state but why not think of better by opening up the channel of the divine through work through me and that will be the proper self surrender constantly you are opening up the channel 
So let the dead bury the dead. What has happened has happened. Let us not go on thinking of it, what to do with it. It has just happened. Let's let the dead bury the dead. Proceed with the further uh, good actions by opening up the channel, the love, the empathy, which is within us, which gets clouded sometimes because of wrong understanding that can be opened up and the divine can go on working. That's, that's the idea. So in that story, we found that instead of just accepting the fact that, that he has committed the mistake and he could have asked the divine that yes, for a, uh, what you say that a moment's weakness, I have done some mistake, please forgive me. Let me in future no, not repeat the same thing. So with that, he could have mended it. But instead of that, he was just philosophizing, <laughs> was philosophizing and not ready to take the blame for that. So that's the idea. So in our life, we find it happens again and again. So just to warn us, Guru Maharaj is giving that example. Thank you so much, Mamiji. It makes sense, yes. Namaskar. Hari Om, Swamiji. Hari Om. Thank you so much, Swamiji.